All right, all right. Welcome to the Check Your Six podcast. It is a little bit different format today for those of you that may or may not have listened before. Typically, it's an intro with a young lady from, it's an Australian accent, so there's a really kind of a cute Australian thing going on here. We don't have that today. And again, as many of you may know, Mr. Craig is out for a bit. He has stepped away for a while, so we're going to continue this anyways in the Check Your Six podcast. We'll try and give some tribute to him from time to time. He was not really big on movie quotes or song lyrics, so I don't have anybody to make fun with anymore on that. But still, we're going to try and continue the process here, talking about small business from a veteran standpoint. Again, I am Tim Proctor with GRP Studios. That's where we're at today. And we have, I first and foremost need to apologize to my guest today. He shows up this morning early, and I'm getting ready to walk out the door. I'm like, I totally forgot. I had booked you. It wasn't on my calendar. I don't know why. I totally dropped the ball. I should have had more respect for an Army officer than I did for you. I do appreciate you spending coming back in, Brooks, and spending some time with us and readjusting your schedule and coming a little bit later today. Thanks for being here this morning. It's my Af- afternoon, this I afternoon. guess. This afternoon. It's my pleasure, Tim. No worries at all. Former, former Army officer. So I think the thing about military is if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. You're late. Oh, yeah. Something yeah, like yeah. that. Yep. We try and tell people that all the time. Well, I was on time. No, on time means you're early. Right. Welcome to the podcast today. Again, this is the 89th episode of the Check Your Six podcast, and it is called Let the Sun Shine In, and there's a couple of reasons why we have that today, but you can't do that. You can't say let this, and now you're old enough to remember this. Some of the other people won't, but let's, let's do a little bit of this this morning. Oh yeah, the fifth dimensions, let the sun shine in back in 70 something or other. You probably remember that. I remember that song very well. You're, you're, you're not uh, you're not a young gun no, in here I'm that not. can't remember anything. Yeah, fifth dimension, let the sun shine in. It's going to make a lot of sense because we do have Brooks Collins in here, and you work for ESA Solar Energy LLC, correct? That is correct, yes. So you are a solar company, hence let the sun shine in. Absolutely. We try and make the title applicable to whatever we're talking about. You are also Army veteran, as you said, graduated with your master's degree from the Citadel. No, or no, your bachelor's from the Citadel. Bachelor's, right. And you were also, I had a little note on here, you're part of the, you were ROTC in the Citadel, and you were on the Junior Sword Drill Team. What the heck is a Junior Sword Drill Team? I know what a drill team is. What is a sword drill team? The short version is Junior Sword Drill was a group of juniors that went through very rigorous training, physical and psychological, for the purpose of honoring the seniors who would receive their rings on ring night every October and then they would walk through an arch of the swords from the 14 members of Junior Sword Drill. So it's kind of one of those things at the Citadel. It got disbanded in the early 90s because some things got a little bit out of hand, but they've tried to revive it. But it was one of those, um, I, I'm trying to think of what to describe it as, but kind of like the hidden darkness, you know, in the corners. If you were a freshman, you weren't supposed to look at the guys on Junior Sword Drill. So oh, it, was, yeah, yeah. it was sort of an elite drill team, if you will, to honor the seniors uh, for their night when they got their rings. The good and the bad thing about, they call it hazy now, they call it bullying, they call it all of these things. And I know some of 
some people really stepped over the line. But in the military, you're just so used to certain things. Right. And we didn't call it anything other than you're a newbie, you're a probie, whatever it is, you get this flunky stuff to do until you're, you know, and we were all fine with it because we knew at some point we're not going to be that probie. And it's a shared misery thing. It Everyone's is. going through the same thing. So you don't really feel singled out. And so when you get on the other side, you really feel a sense of accomplishment and, and great relief. And hopefully everyone that was around you, they all made it together. Now, not everybody does. People quit, people leave, but it's just... What, not everybody gets a trophy kind of thing? Exactly. <laughs> let's, not start, let's not start on that. Oh, but yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. That, is a, that is a good uh, good reference for sure. Well, I, you know, I was just, I was looking at that. I, can't, I know what a drill team is. Typically a drill team, you think of rifle drill team and that kind of stuff. But then you also see at military weddings, you see the sword arch mm -hmm. for a lot of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So then you got your master's degree from Florida Institute in Technology. What made you go from to get your master's? I mean, you came out of the Citadel and then you served four years. So you were get out as a lieutenant. Great question. So when I was going to college, it was going to be, oh, what are you going to major in? What do you want to do with your rest of your life? Well, I didn't know then. I'm still not sure now. Yeah. But I chose to be an English major because I thought that English, and many, many people counsel me on this, English is a pre-professional major. You can do anything with an English degree. So people always thought, oh, are you going to be a teacher? Are you going to be a lawyer? No, people go to medical school, people get their MBAs. It is just the subject that I liked the most in high school. So I chose it as a major. Then I met my wife-to-be, and you know we started talking about some things and her father-in-law was you know gave me good advice and they they were both like maybe you ought to get a master's degree so that when you come out of the military you're a little more marketable so florida institute of technology happened to have a satellite campus at fort eustis virginia where my wife and i met and were married and served together i went to their program a night school program it just happened to be fit or what it was called at the time fit and i thought well I really don't want to go through the extensiveness of an MBA because I'm probably going to go into sales. So I went with a master's degree in management, master's of science in management, thinking I'd have the master's degree, I'd be more marketable, and I'd have the English undergrad, which really prepared me for great you know, communicative skills, interpersonal skills, reading, writing. Because a lot of when I got to the military, my first battalion commander was ecstatic that I'd been an English major because he knew I could actually write coherent sentences with good punctuation. <laughs> Because even 35 years ago, there were a lot of a lot of lieutenants, second lieutenants. I mean, they couldn't. Yeah. So it was kind of that's kind of the way it all evolved. That's interesting. You say that not everybody knows how to write a report the correct way. Mm -hmm. Not we were cops in the Air Force, so we had to learn how to report, do reporting, mm -hmm. and write reports. And so, so what did you do? You were logistics, correct? And I, today, I would look back and call it logistics. Back then, there there truly was an Army Transportation Corps, and that was a part of the logistics overarching logistics because there was a quartermaster corps and there was an ordnance corps. Yeah. Now they're all, I believe, rolled into kind of logistics. But back then I was, a, I was a transportation corps officer and we actually had, we were in what was called a Marine terminal battalion, which was a very small niche of transportation. We didn't do trucks as much as we did ships. We did onloading and offloading of ships. So the, a lot of, a lot of what I did was in, in Puerto Rico and then in Central America. Roosevelt Roads? Roosevelt Roads, Naval, oh, Naval, exactly, Naval man. Base. And so what our, our unit did is we loaded 
the equipment onto the merchant marine ships. They would sail down to wherever the the mission was, the uh, war games mission was, which was always, you know, the combat arms guys doing that. So we would fly down and then we would stay in a tent city. We would train while they were doing their combat arms mission. And then we would load it back on the ships and it would sail back to Fort Eustis. So it was a very small niche of the army, but it was, it was kind of a cool, you know, not, not your everyday transportation, not just trucking. Not that there's anything wrong with trucking. Right. Very integral. But it was somewhat, somewhat it was just different. different. Yeah. So what made you then step away from that and not do that when you got out? Go with somebody like UPS or go with somebody that was a trucking company. You know, I, I got interviewed by some trucking companies. I went through an executive recruiter when I was getting out of the military. And what really steered me in a different direction was an uncle that I had at the time who was a retired IBMer and had been a very successful investor. And this was 1989. And he said, you know, the medical industry is a phenomenal industry, not only from an investment standpoint, but from a future growth standpoint. And he said, you might want to look at that. So I sort of looked at maybe the day, what the day-to-day would have been like in each of those industries. And I just chose and thought I would be more successful dealing with doctors, hospitals, medical devices. And that's what's sort of steered me that way. Now, today, looking at what the medical community has become, it was, was obviously a good decision mm. for you. Mm-hmm. Now you said you're married. You got kids. I've got two kids. They're both grown and they're both in medical sales. There you go. I wonder where that came from. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, well then why sales you get out, you have obviously leadership experience coming out of the military. And we tell that to and just about anybody that'll listen. There's something different for those that have served. Even if it was 40 years ago. There's something different about those of us that have served and the way we approach problems and issues and challenges. What made you go into sales? I think there's a a few different reasons, but it's just the way that I'm wired as an individual, okay? I am not the person that is very comfortable going to the same place every morning, spending the entire time in the same place, and then coming home. I like being out. I like being, I like a significant degree of autonomy in my work. And so I looked at sales and I thought, well, this is going to give me an opportunity to be out, have some autonomy, and as long as they give me the mission, right, and say, go accomplish the mission, I think they'll leave me alone. And that's what I discovered. You know, sales is everything's driven. It's quota driven. It's revenue driven. You've got to achieve certain milestones to stay with the company. So I always felt like if they'll just give me the job, tell me what the mission is, I'll go do it, and then everything else will take care of itself. So I kind of looked at sales and I thought, well, there's really three things. I like solving customer problems. I like providing a good living for my family and I like to win. That's really, in my opinion, what sales is, is all about. I mean, you know, I was going to ask you that because a lot of us are not salesmen. We really are not. And I know the argument has been, well, if you are out there promoting your company, whatever it is, you really are a salesman. You, whatever business you're in, you're selling that business in whatever you do. But I think there are some people, and Craig and I used to talk about this all the time, there are some people that are geared that way. You really love that engagement. Currently, you're working with ESA Solar Energy, and I do want to talk quite a bit about solar today mm-hmm. and how you approach that and some of the issues and the challenges that you have. What is your biggest challenge as a salesman. I know you're not supposed to say salesman anymore. You're supposed to say salesperson, but I don't care. What is your biggest challenge as a salesman? The the biggest challenge, and I, it doesn't matter if you're selling solar. It really doesn't matter what you're selling. The right. biggest challenge is 
People are resistant to change. Bottom line, it doesn't matter what you're selling. If somebody has to put forth some effort to change versus staying status quo and not having to do anything, that is the biggest challenge. And I'll give you a perfect example if I can digress here for yeah, one absolutely. quick second. Go ahead. Yeah. Before moving in the last uh, two years ago, we would have people come to our old neighborhood knocking on doors quite a bit, selling stuff. And I remember a person coming from, um, one of the fiber optic telecom companies. I don't even remember the name of yeah. them. And they would say, well, sir, we know that in this neighborhood you have cable and we have this fiber optic and it's going to increase your speed by five times. There's no installation fee. You will not have outages. They A whole laundry list of things. It was a no-brainer. And by the way, I don't like that term because whenever I hear that term, I usually go the other way. But he yeah. didn't say no, no-brainer. Yeah. But because he had just knocked on my door... And I wasn't thinking about switching from cable to, to fiber optic. I just said, no, I'm not interested because I was averse to changing, even though it was going to save me money, it was going to increase my, I didn't want to go through the hassle. And less, a lot of people view it as a hassle to change anything, to change their coffee, to change their toothpaste. I mean, people yeah, I don't that. like change. That's yeah, the biggest no, challenge. And I'll, I will agree with that to, definitely to a point. What I find tremendously funny and tremendously annoying in some cases is it's not that I don't necessarily like change. Is what you're proposing actually going to benefit you? Because I'm sure you're not the kind of sales guy that gives everything is, you know, Pollyanna, rose-colored glass, everything looks great, my system is the best. And I know you have to do that, I would imagine, as a salesperson. You really have to believe in what you're selling. But at some point, I'm like, look, buddy, I already know. No, I don't want Dish Network. Because I've been at the gym and I know Dish Networks goes out if a cloud goes in front of the sun. So, no, we're not going to do that. How do you differentiate when people really buck up? It's not that they don't want to change. How can you tell when somebody's just being an ornery old man like me or that they're really not interested at all in what you have to say? That's a great question. I try to be completely objective and I will, I will tell people this. I will say to them, you know what you're going to get? What you're going to get from me is honesty. If your house is not a good candidate for solar, if you've got too much shade, if your roof has terrible geometry, terrible architecture, I will tell you if you're not. Because my reputation, I've been in Central Florida 23 years, I tell them this, my reputation in the community uh, where I know a lot of people is much more important than me selling you solar. And, I, and, I, and I've said that to many, many people. I don't know if they appreciate it. A lot of people have bought solar from me. A lot haven't. But... Like I said before, if I'm doing all the right things, the sales will take care of themselves. You know, it's funny. We do, we kind of take the same approach with our car. We took our car to a place where I know the guy was not selling me a bill of goods. It wasn't every time something happens, you go to a dealership. Oh, you need a new one of these. You need a new Johnson rod or whatever they, whatever they are. But I really appreciate it when somebody will be upfront and honest with me because I'm either going to buy or I'm not. One, that's, that's what it is. And the more people talk about what they think my their product will do for me, it's almost like the more I'm like, okay, I really don't want to hear it anymore. Give me the just the facts, ma'am, from Dragnet back in the 60s. Just the facts. Give me the facts. Tell me what it'll do and tell me the benefit it's gonna I'm gonna get from it. Sure. And it has to solve a problem. There has to be there has to be a reason that you're there in the first place. Now quite honestly, I get people that have no intention of buying solar. They're just kind of wanting to test the waters, put their toe in the water and see. And so that's really something you can sort of determine early on in the process and you really don't spend a lot of time on that. But 
there has to be some pain. There has to be a problem that needs to be solved. And what you're hoping for is that they've reached out to my to my company because they have a problem they want me to help them solve. Well, let's let's talk about ESA Solar for a little bit. They've been around since 2010, so they've been here for quite a while. Are they one of the early birds in this solar generational thing that we have going on now with such a big push? Definitely are. And what's what's probably the most important aspect of this is about six years ago, they got linked up with a the their manufacturer called SunPower. So the way our company is branded now, we are a master dealer for SunPower. And when you become a master dealer, you get rebranded and they put the word SunPower in front of your name. So we're, we're technically called SunPower by ESA Solar. Now, prior to the residential solar business, which is what I work under, the owners of ESA actually do solar farms, industrial scale, utility scale solar farms all around uh, the United States. And they do a lot of commercial business too. So we're, we're a full service solar company. The residential is probably the newest line of business. And that started, I want to say around 2015. So what we see, what you see on people's rooftops, what's called photovoltaic solar. That is the glass panels that generate electricity to power your house. That is relatively new in the state of Florida. Now, there are companies out there that have been selling thermal solar, which are those mesh-looking panels that you see that, that heat your pool. Yep, yep. We don't do that at ESA Solar. We strictly do photovoltaic panels that produce electricity for a home and a business and, in some cases, a grid. So you can do larger ones, like the, the farm that they have out towards Disney, if you take uh, the Beltway around. 429, 429 sure. 429, you That's can a see a giant sure. solar farm. They're all over Florida. You know, Florida, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, California, why don't we have just a ton more of it? Well, I, without getting political. very political. <laughs> I, or, I get it. I, okay. Rates have been traditionally pretty low in the state of Florida when you compare it to California or you compare it to the Northeast. Right. So not a lot of people had solar on their radar up until five or six years ago. That's all starting to change. A thousand people a day, roughly, are still moving to the state of Florida. Think about that. We'll never build another coal-powered grid plant in Florida, at least not in my lifetime. There's going to be renewable sources. So what happens is right now, to make up for the demand of all those people moving here, they're having to import electricity from other states in the southeast. What do you think that's going to do to, to cost? That is going to raise rates. So yeah, rate that. hikes rate hikes are what are the things that are making people recognize solar like they never have before. And so that's sort of the that's sort of what has brought a lot of companies from other states into Florida to kind of follow I hate to say it but follow the money. They the companies moving down from New Jersey, New York that are solar companies that got established up there, now they're here in Florida. So does I know I know California in 2020, January 2020, now all new home construction for the chamber of what do they say it was the uh, the code of regulations for the California Energy Commission now you have to have solar for new home construction which i can see that eventually going down perhaps to other places i don't know but let's talk residents does it really work and how effective is it to have solar it definitely works and if you have the right home and you have the right size electric bill it is a definite benefit. The way you have to look at solar, though, is 
It is not necessarily going to save you money tomorrow or next month or even next year. But what solar does is it, you go from a renter of your electricity, which is truly what you are, right? Yeah. You rent your electricity, they keep the lights on, and at the end of the month, you have nothing to show. When you put a energy generating utility power plant on your roof, that's what solar is. It's its own little power plant that you're installing on your roof. You now go from renting the electricity from the utility to owning your own electricity. Now, whether you buy it through, finance it through a loan or you pay cash for it, at some point, you're going to own that system free and clear. And then your electricity is almost free and clear, but not because you have to pay a monthly connection fee for being on the grid. Right. But if you have the right, the right azimuth of your roof facing the sun, no shade, solar is a great, great program for a lot of people. We do see it more. And you, you said that word um, on the grid. Can you ever go completely off the grid with solar and power your home? Why do you have to be on a grid, so to speak, quotes, air quotes? Can you be off of the grid and be on solar? My understanding of that law in the state of Florida is if you live in an area where the grid brings electricity to that area, no, you can never be completely off grid. Now, if you were in the middle of the Everglades and maybe you built a home and you got battery backup and so forth and so on, theoretically, you could be off grid there. But I'm almost certain that by law, you cannot be off-grid if you live in a community that a utility brings electricity to. So if I have a resident, walk me through the process of, you know, I'm Tim, I have a, I have a roof that faces the right way. I'm a little concerned about putting it on my roof. My wife is very concerned about putting it on a roof. But walk me through the process of you've got a great south-facing roof. You have sun that goes from east to west over your roof all day long. There's no shade. What's that going to look like for a small 1,100 square foot home with you know a hundred dollar a month electric bill? Right. That's that's probably not. I mean, when you get around that hundred dollar threshold, it may not make financial sense. A hundred dollar electric bill is really pretty modest. We we oh yeah, I think it's yeah. great. We love it during the winter yeah. time when we don't ever turn our heat on. So, exactly. Yeah. But more likely in in Florida as a whole, you're looking at a lot higher consumption of electricity as an average. Probably you're looking, I would say, an average utility bill in the state of Florida or central Florida, I'll bet you it's more like about 175 to 180. If you took them all all aggregated and, and divided, I'll bet it's closer to 180 because I, I deal with people that have a four to $500 yeah, a so month bill. Ours gets, you know, hundred during the summertime, ours gets 180 and we're like, okay, that's a little bit too much. Turn and and so, so the first step is if they're interested in doing this, they reach out to the company, they set up, you know, some kind of consultation, Zoom or phone or whatever it is. But the key thing that a solar company has to have is they've got to have that electric bill. So they can look at the last 12 months historical, what we call consumption, the electricity usage. Because what our job is, is we're going to design and build and install a system that will replace that fossil fuel electricity from the grid with solar electricity from the panels. In an ideal world, we get what's called 100% offset. 100% offset means I'm going to replace 100% of my current electricity from the utility with 100% electricity from my solar panel systems. That's the dream. That's what most people try to achieve. Doesn't work for everybody. And it doesn't mean that even people that get 50 or 60 or 70% offset don't go solar because what they're doing is whatever electricity you're converting from 
the grid to your solar panels, it will never go up in price. Solar locks in your price because you own the panels that are producing it. So you will never have a rate hike on whatever percentage of the electricity you convert to solar. And the other thing that people can't get their heads around sometimes is they think that it's too expensive. Well, no, you're not adding an, an additional expense. You're replacing your electric bill with your solar loan payment, which a lot of times is even lower than the bill. Yeah. So a lot of people think that they're adding a cost. They're adding something to their budget. No, you're already, if you want to look at it this way, you're already paying for the solar you don't even own by writing that check to the utility, which gives you no equity ever. And I can see how people would think, well, it's going to cost me $40,000 to put the solar on my roof. So I want to be out $40,000. I'm still paying my electrical. Well, at some point, no, you're. I get that. You're not paying. That's the whole reason you would put it on. So I'm not paying that much. For exactly. My Have the power and utility companies, do they buy into this? Honestly, I mean, because if you're a solar powered, because not every, the utility companies are not solar powered, I would imagine right now. Most of them are fossil fuel, well, water or whatever. And that's where it's almost like the dirty little secret in, if you're not in solar, you don't realize this. Every major utility in the state of Florida is buying up enormous tracts of land and building their own solar farms. Okay. What they're then doing is they're creating that solar electricity for 50% of the cost that it takes them to produce a fossil fuel kilowatt hour. But do you think they're lowering our rates 50%? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Of course not. Yeah. And so what they're doing is they're saying solar's great. We love solar. We love solar. But we want to control solar. We want our own solar farms to produce it, and then we'll sell it to you. Mr. Proctor and all your neighbors. See what I mean? They yeah. they will they love solar as long as they maintain the business model on their terms and the rate structure and all of that. And I'm not trying to bash any utility. Uh, I'm just I'll, telling I'll you. I'll bash them all day long <laughs> because facts. I I you know I'm I'm again I'm not going to be like <clears throat> some people who right now who are demanding that everybody you know oil companies give back money and all this. No, I'm not going that way. But I do understand that everybody complains about the solar, uh, complains about the electrical and the utilities until you need it. Well, we all need power. Let me give you a great analogy and that, that pause there. Think about before there was Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, Apple TV. We Blockbuster, all, baby. We, we all had that choice of, like you mentioned before, cable, dish, direct TV, right? Yeah. Essentially, they had a monopoly. They did. And then what happened? All those streaming services came along. People started cutting the cable. Cut. I don't have cable anymore. They started cutting cable because they could stream. That's exactly what's happening. Solar is what people are transitioning to when they're cutting off the utility and they're owning their own power by buying solar. It's the same thing. Because in the state of Florida, you cannot pick your utility company. So how long have you you've been doing this for about three and a half years now? Yeah, close to four years. June will be four years. Yeah, doing four. Do you see yourself doing this for a while? Do you see it really? I do. I mean, the need the need is there. We have barely scratched the surface in the state of Florida. Before I was in the solar business, I had no idea that this was a viable alternative because I wasn't thinking of it. I was thinking about whatever else I was doing. But when my kids were growing up and I lived in this big, very inefficient Florida one-story ranch house, it was not uncommon to have a $500 a month bill. And I would, I would, you know, shake my head. 
roll my eyes, bite my tongue, and I'd write the check because I didn't think I could do anything about it. And that's the kind of the message I try to get to people is you, you have an alternative. You know, just because you can't pick your utility company, if your house, again, has good exposure, no shade, so on and so forth, you qualify financially, solar is a great option. Can you really do it is. without putting it on your roof? Because I know that's one of the issues that I have. We don't have a real big home anyways, mm -hmm. but I'm concerned, though, about when you put solar on, and we've heard this from more than one, and maybe it's just a, a lie, that it voids a warranty on your shingles. It absolutely does. It does. However, if you look at what shingles, how you put a shingle roof on, right? If you've ever got like, the, the objection we usually hear is, I don't want all these holes in my roof. Have you ever been up in your attic and, and looked up at the wood decking? There yeah, are thousands of holes in your roof from nailing from the shingles nails. down, yeah. right? If the solar installer is competent and they use the right products, you're not going to have any problem with roof leaks. In fact, they're going to offer a 10-year leak prevention warranty. Now, whatever roofers tell you in the state of Florida, or, or I should say whatever shingle manufacturers tell you, a 40-year architecture, whatever it is, we all know. In this weather, you don't. You will never get more than twenty years if you out get of a shingle roof. Twenty years out of a shingle roof, you're going to be very, you're very ecstatic. Lucky. Yeah. And so that warranty piece, I've had that come up a couple of times, but never with enough people has it mattered that again the majority of people, if they wanted to go solar, they were not going to let the roof warranty shake you them, know, shake, shake them, too much. them from going solar. Do you do those panels that are on? Do they fall? The, the, the whole wind mitigation now, and, we, and I do know after talking to some people in the industry and home inspectors, that insurance is going to be changing so that you have an older home, you need to have that now the wind mitigation and the four points done on your home to make sure this is all up to code. Do solar panels meet that wind mitigation guidelines for a roof line? Again, the way that I have to answer, and I'm not trying to to dodge the question, but so much in this business revolves around the competency of the company. Gotcha. Okay. That, that's really the best way for me to answer it. I mean, we're putting a five and a half inch lag screw into the rafters of a home and the rafters by code are hurricane strapped to the block wall, to the wall. I mean, that came up after Hurricane Andrew 30 years ago. Right, yeah. Yep. So does that mean that all solar companies are created equal? Absolutely not, because there are companies like in any industry, it doesn't matter what it is, any construction trade, there are companies that'll try to do things cheap and fast, and they'll cut corners. And this is why when, I, when I'm talking to people, I try to really emphasize the due diligence that they need to use. Hey, you're, if you're not going to buy from me today, that's fine. If you're going to interview five other solar companies, that's fine. As long as you ask them the tough questions that you're asking me and then see where I've set the bar. In other words, because that is in the three and a half years I've been doing this, I have seen and heard terrible horror stories of, of, of customers that really didn't do the due diligence, really didn't find out about the company they were contracting with. Maybe they looked just at pinch and pennies. And, and quite honestly, Tim, there are companies in this business going out of business in solar quicker than there are coming into the market. You, you get what you pay for. You get what a you pay absolutely for. Absolutely right. So, and before I forget, give everybody a contact name and information, uh, email, all that kind of stuff before we get out of here so we can let people know how to contact you to get sure. a solar roof. Sure. Again, it's Brooks Collins. I work for SunPower by ESA Solar. We're here in Maitland. 
My email address is B as in Bravo. Let's go with the phonetic alphabet. Yeah, oh, I love, we love so doing that B all the time. as in Bravo, Collins, Charlie, Oscar, Lima, Lima, India, November, Sierra. So it's B Collins at ESA or Echo Sierra Alpha dash the word solar. Dot com. So B Collins at ESA dash solar.com. I love doing that when we're whenever we're right. out someplace you're giving the phonetic right. alphabet and people look at you like what? Right. Anyways. That's yeah. that's the best way to reach me. I've I've had that email address for three and a half years, so it'll it'll reach me. Well, I'm I'm glad we were finally able to get you in here. There's there's a bunch of stuff I wanted to ask you that we didn't get to, like, does it work in cold weather? It works in cold weather, it works in cloudy weather, doesn't work when it's raining, but Clouds, no problem. So, Cold, so it no doesn't problem. matter if you're up north in the northeast. Oh, no. and There's more solar in Vermont. This is this is how bad we are. I can are. see that. There's actually. more solar per capita in the state of Vermont than there is in Florida, the Sunshine State. That's how far behind we are in terms of adopting this technology. I mean, I'm, I'm all for the green stuff. I'm actually not the kind of person that says, we're just going to turn off everything and flip on the screen switch. I don't think we have the infrastructure in place. We've, we'd, we're trying to do this the wrong way. Right. We've got these people screaming about saving the planet, and I get all that, but let's do it smart. Let's, let's do it efficiently. Let's get all the things we need to in place before we just decide Absolutely. to turn off that switch. So You're right. I, I do appreciate you being in here today. Sure, think, my pleasure. I think going out of here... We're just gonna. You now we're gonna bring up a little bit of the sunshine in here today. Thanks, Brooks, for being in here. Thank you, Tim. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll check you next time on the Checks Your Six Podcast.